Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. All right, we're back. Focus Compounding Podcast. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Andrew Kuhn, Jeff Gannon. Mm-hmm. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going great, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going fantastic we hope it's going fantastic for everybody else so in the last podcast we talked about mm-hmm. the focus compounding gazette okay. and we talked about all the stocks that are on the gazette one thing we did not talk about mm-hmm. um or one thing that we did talk about that we didn't really expand on was if you do sign up you get a watch list of 10 overlooked stocks right. that we could be potentially interested in i mean we're all interested in it but we could potentially buy in the future yeah. um so we're going to go over those 10 stocks today Okay. And let's just chat about them, and sure. we could give a little summary on them. Um, I promise everyone listening, I'm sure you probably haven't heard of even half of these stocks, maybe. Depends. I mean, depends. Yeah. I mean, if you're an av- if you follow our style, maybe, and, and the website and everything, but, I mean, like you said in the last episode, it definitely would not be in Barron's. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So, first company, Corellia Tobacco. Yes. So, this is a practical company, so most people aren't going to want to buy it anyway. But, no. Um, For ESG purposes yeah that's true yep um and it's almost impossible to get this stock because it's like 99 percent owned by the family yeah very illiquid my impression is that the family is not of one mind though so just is that a what of one mind okay what do you mean by that i don't know that you can count that 99 percent of the votes will be cast the same way got it i'm not 100 percent sure i've read some things i don't read greek (laughs) i've read some things translated into english and stuff that give me the impression that that's the case yeah and Um, where's this company traded uh, Athens. Got it. So okay. it's in Greece. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, tobacco companies perform very well over a long period of time. It exports a lot of the um, cigarettes to other countries like Africa and places like that where they have, sell a lot. Um, it makes cigarettes. It doesn't make any of the, um, the you know, the it doesn't make any sort of product that is lower risk or smokeless or anything like that. Mm-hmm. This is this is pure cigarettes. S- pure cigarettes. And none of the, um, what is it called, uh, heat not burn? What is the, um, you know, the different cigarettes that... Um, uh, the Marlboro brand and things like that are working on. I don't know. I don't smoke. So okay. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> do they, are they in uh, cigars or is it just strictly cigarettes? Oh, that's a good question. And then do they sell like uh, other forms of like tobacco, like chewing tobacco? No, no, no. Or, no. you know, do it at your, like, I believe all is 100% cigarettes, but now that you said, did they ever make a cigar? Maybe they did. Yeah. I, not, yeah, it's, there's no meaningful sales of cigars that I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh-huh. How'd you come across this company? Uh, well, at one time I looked through all the stocks in Greece. Mm-hmm. So. And then you just remember, and obviously it is overlooked based upon the float. And of course, it's an international stuff. No yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How big uh, is the company? The company's not small. A mm-hmm. billion something like that. Um, it, it's one of the smaller tobacco companies. In the, it's the smallest. Is it? Well, I was going to say, in terms of float, it's the smallest publicly traded tobacco company in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a very successful stock for a very long time, uh, probably decades uh yeah the have very high return on equity um all that sort of stuff uh greece you know uh, and then also i've read the filings and stuff to see that they keep most of their cash whenever possible not in greece and things mm-hmm. like that to avoid that um there was actually recently an election in greece i don't know if you 
know that there was parliamentary election there, but uh, the New Democracy Party won uh, over Syriza. So, um, uh, you, you follow up with Greece a lot. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a center right party that uh, will form the government, and I believe they have a majority of the share, uh, the majority of the um, <laughs> majority of the seats, um, which is unusual for Greece. It's you know usually they have to have a coalition with other um, parties as part of them. So. Uh, to win all the uh, to win a, I think I don't know if it's finalized yet but I think they'll actually be able to rule as one party um, so you know uh, that might reduce people's concerns about Greece a little bit I mean the party that was in power recently had a history of being like a Marxist party in their long term past yeah um, and so and this party certainly doesn't uh, you know I wouldn't worry too much about Greece that way. I think people would be concerned that it's family controlled like 99% or whatever I said. And, um, you know, but they, they seem to run it very um, conservatively, keep a lot of the cash outside of Greece when possible. Where are the long-term are... returns of the business plan? Amazing. So north of 20%? My guess would be 20% a year for the last 30 years or something. Wow, that is amazing. It's the reason that they're rich, mm-hmm. the family. I mean, it's the entire history of their uh, wealth there. It's a tobacco company. Mm-hmm. I mean, what tobacco yeah. company hasn't done amazing yeah. around the world? That Actually, way. like tobacco and alcohol uh, companies mm-hmm. have, have like been the highest performers. I would guess that over yes, over the last it's hundred years, sad. tobacco and alcohol yeah. is one of the best performers. Yeah, yeah, sad, sad, sad. And um, coal will be one of the worst. So, so ESG works on that one. It doesn't <laughs> work on the tobacco and uh, alcohol, but it works. On so, this too. is number one on your on your list. It's, it's number one because it's the most overlooked. Yeah. Okay. That's it. why. Got yeah. it. So, not oh, the one that if you they would the sell their shares to me or whatever, if the family would be it, happy to sell us shares, then I'm sure we would. We'll put an ad in the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> um, then I'm sure we'd be interested. I mean, there are risks to it and stuff. There's just risks of tobacco declining over time. This company can absolutely not invest in any technologies that would be, um, you know, related to vaping or any of those sorts. And absolutely not. They can only, they just don't have the capital for that. That's very, very capital intensive to switch over factories to do that and everything. So they can't. Um, and then there's also huge taxes on cigarettes in Greece, which results in a lot of, in their home market of, of Greece, a huge amount of um, illegal cigarettes. So there's lots of cigarettes produced in Greece and sold without being taxes paid on them or the government officially knowing about them or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, number two, Stratco. Yeah, so amusement parks in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I shouldn't say amusement parks. I should say uh, attractions. Um, to, it's, yeah, this is wrote up on the Focus Compounding yes. website Focus if you want to get access to that. Can see it. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's a couple uh, aquariums in China plus uh, the uh, Singapore Flyer, the um, Ferris wheel, wheel that yeah. people are familiar with. It's sort of a landmark, there, uh-huh. I would say, yeah, compared to like – what is it? London Eye. It's sure. similar that way. Yeah. I, I think Bloomberg filmed a. Uh, I'm pretty sure Bloomberg filmed some sort of uh, TV thing there one time. I remember seeing uh, using that. So it's used as a backdrop and stuff. You can at least see it even if you've never been there. Um, and then the aquariums. Yeah. So aquarium business is a good business. Um, I don't know that the aquariums are great. I was recently to the Dallas World Aquarium. Comparing that to what I saw of these aquariums, I would say they're not equal mm-hmm. this so the big one is in shanghai uh-huh. um i don't think it's as good as the dallas world aquarium um and it has a fairly high price and stuff but it just seems to have issues with a lot of crowding and stuff like that they might not pay be doing as much in terms of maintenance i read an interview again translated so it could not be a good interview uh computer translated uh to like google <laughs> in, yeah yeah in which the um Someone who worked for the company kind of gave the impression, like, um, until Disney came into China and things like that, that uh, some of the tourist things might not have been um, 
comparable to tourism locations in Europe and the United States and stuff. Um, but you know, uh, there it's a wide motai business, um, pretty low in terms of price to free cash flow. If you read that article that we have that right up on the site, um, probably you could probably have like a 10% free cash flow yield or something, mm-hmm. which is amazing. If people don't know things like six flags, and um, there's a company called Merlin Entertainment, which runs a bunch of different things, um, including in the UK, there's a bunch of places I've been there and historical things and stuff like that. Um, you have uh, Cedar Fair, which is a lot of roller coaster centric um, mm-hmm. uh, theme parks and stuff in the US. Uh, you know, all those things um, trade at very, very high EVD, but multiples and very, very high price to free cash for multiples. So in some ways, this might be the very capital intense business yeah, as well. So Corellia compared to other tobacco companies might be even cheaper than Straco compared to other theme park operators or attraction operators, but they're both incredibly cheap. They're way, way cheaper than, um, uh, any of their peers mm-hmm. or like their peers that you would know about They're There are way to buy aquariums and things like that. It way cheaper than you could anywhere else in the world. And same thing with Corelli with the tobacco. If you could get those shares, um, this is also very overlooked. It doesn't trade a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the concerns would be it's in China, which is a concern. Um, there's it's, as far as I could tell, reading about it, um, I would say you know people would worry about fraud and things like that. Yeah, it's not in the same class as like Chinese reverse mergers or anything. I feel much more comfortable. In Why is that? Things. And I, I think your reason behind it, they'd like to hear that. Yeah. So just I mean, in terms of who the investors are in the company, there's a government related investor in the company. Uh, the, who the controlling shareholders are in the company, or major shareholders are in the company. And then also um, things about what they bought and media reports that I could read, again, translated um, by by Google. So take that all with a, a grain of salt. But translated <laughs> about the aquariums that they had, interviews that they had, and things like that. Yeah. It, these, And then you can go on TripAdvisor and see reviews of these aquariums and things. There's certainly no doubt that these are real businesses and stuff. Yeah. There's always a doubt, I would say, in China and stuff in terms of what their cash balances are and things like that. I would worry about that a lot. Um, I mentioned with Corellia that I'm glad to see some of their cash balances are kept with major non-Greek banks and out in U.S. dollars and things like that um, just because of government risk there sometimes. In China, I don't think that auditing of bank balances is like it is in the U.S., mm-hmm. so I would in general not have much faith in that. They don't have a lot of um, debt and stuff compared to compared to their peers. They, have, they don't have debt um, compared to their peers, so their peers use a lot of debt. Um, yeah. So again, great. You mean tobacco is a great business, and you know, um, running uh, attractions are great businesses, mm-hmm. and they're both overlooked and they're both cheap. They're both probably trading at you know ten times free cash flow or less or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you could get access to that on the premium site, focuscompounding.com. Yep. Monarch Cement. We kind of talked a little bit about this in the last yeah. podcast. Yeah, Monarch Cement. I'm trying to remember if it has been written up at Oddball Stocks. I feel like it has been, but I don't know that for a fact. Um, so, uh, cement company, uh, basically one plant in Kansas, mm-hmm. um, serves a pretty large area. And How big is the company? Not small. Uh, the company. Less than 500 million though? Yes. Um, but the, um, so about half that maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that some things miscalculate the shares. So that's one thing for you to keep in mind. You might see it look as if it has a really low price. You have to make sure that you understand that this is not an SEC registered company mm-hmm. anymore. It was. 
Um, so you have to go to their filing. Uh, it, it's not an official government filing, but they're the report that they put in with OTC markets, which looks a lot like a 10K or something. And that will give you the actual share count and everything. You need to use that to make sure that you understand that the stock is not as cheap as it appears. I think some people are using a share count, which is like two thirds or half Lower. of what the actual yeah. one is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because of class issues, they don't understand how many shares are really outstanding. Uh, yeah, so cement company, I just like cement companies. Mm hmm. I mean, um, not ready mix. They own a ready mix business, which doesn't make much money. Or, yeah, uh, I don't like ready mix cement, but um, I like a company that produces cement because, in general, you don't open an, another competitor anywhere nearby. And so, if there was a write up about it a little bit at Guru Focus, I noticed, and someone had said there was no moat or something, and then in the comments they had said, "Well, actually, if you think about it, what would it take in terms of replacement value?" Um, to be able to move it out of the area, you would need something, like I said, I think in that past podcast of, you know, you need rail or barge or something. Yeah, Realistically, uh -huh. truck can only take it so far. You can't, yeah. you can only serve a couple metropolitan areas with a cement plant by truck because the, the cost per mile for each ton that you're moving is pretty high by truck. Mm -hmm. And so you can't take it that far. Um, so those are the advantages. It, the company's like a hundred years old or something. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, not exactly family controlled. As far as I can tell, and I could be wrong about this again, um, like I said with Corellia, my impression from reading about stuff is that the family sometimes disagrees, although members of the descendants of the founder clearly own almost the entire stock. In this case, it seems like there are multiple families that have a history with the company, but so together they might be controlling or something, but individually I don't see that any family has like controlling shares. And the company did – they survived the financial crisis and did okay through they that. did they didn't lose yeah. money in the financial crisis yeah which uh, i thought was pretty interesting yeah and they're very very conservatively financed mm -hmm. um they do have a pension plan um they've changed it for the future to uh defined um a contribution instead of defined benefit uh which is an advantage for shareholders in terms of understanding what their risk is in the future uh but they have a portfolio of stocks and things what's odd about their portfolio of stocks is they're invested in other things that are um uh, very cyclical like that. So there are things that are literally like cement and building materials, but they could also be things related to energy and stuff like that. It's not a diversified stock portfolio. Yeah. But when you net out like debt and cash versus liabilities and stuff, they're basically operating with like no leverage at all. Um, and then they also uh, have, a, for the accounting purposes, you have to pay attention to the fact that they have a brick business that they don't have um, uh, majority ownership of. But they have very large ownership of it. And if I remember right, they're using the equity method uh, of accounting, which probably significantly undervalues on the balance sheet. So you have to pay attention to that and add that into like your look-through earnings the way that Buffett talks about look-through earnings. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what that is, go Google what look-through earnings are yeah. and stuff and figure that out and figure out how the equity method of accounting works. Uh, it tends to undervalue a good business you own if you don't own enough of it to consolidate it. Canterbury Park? Yeah, so horse racing and then a card casino. Mm-hmm. So and land. Like about those companies. It owns land around it. Mm -hmm. um, horse racing has been declining for basically ever in the yeah. United States. <laughs> um, especially the big issue there is not so much attendance, which is fine. Sometimes attendance is fine at horse races. The problem is um, gambling. The actual amount of betting being done at horse sure. races has gone down. And the big reason for that probably over the decades is that so much more other forms of gambling have been allowed. Mm -hmm. Whether it's just lotteries and things like that that have grown over the last half century or whatever to Indian casinos and things like that. Um, within driving distance to most places. So they then opened up a card casino to allow uh, playing card games and um, like table games and that uh, brought in some money. So, um, you know, those you don't you're not going to open up another um, 
horse, casino like right uh, across. You're not yeah. going to open another casino near them. You're not yeah. going to open up another horse track near them. And then they have a bunch of land that they probably don't need uh, that they could redevelop in some way. How big is the company? Uh, the company's not big, although I don't know that's technically a micro cap. Um, but if you, it's smaller than it seems to be because, like I said, with the land, mm-hmm. I didn't mention that. Like you know, when a company's using the land, I wouldn't mention it so much. So. Like, um, Monarch owns a ton of land. Yeah. Uh, probably, I think that plant is on 500 acres or something. But they're using it for their cement plant. Um, whereas in this case, my uh, they could redevelop a large part of that land um, because they're not really using it for the horse uh, racing. So, yeah. So, it could be developed into something. They've had plans over the time to develop it. So, you know, do some of the parts. What is the casino stuff worth? Is the horse mm-hmm. stuff worth anything? Uh, what would you get for a development? Yeah. And mm-hmm. then follow what they're doing, you know. So it's a combination of asset play and also like because you know, mm-hmm. interesting. Biffa, if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> so uh, UK garbage. Yeah, yeah, it's a big garbage company in the UK. Mm-hmm. It is overlooked, but it's not small. It's not a small um, business. And then um, why do you consider it overlooked based upon how much of the floats traded? Yeah, yeah, got so it. That's low. Um, and probably there'll be. I know that there will be an article soon uh, on the Focus Combining Gazette. So if you sign up. Hopefully, if you sign up now, but when this goes out, maybe it'll already happened and you can't yeah, get it. Yeah. But you can go to focuscombinexec.com and click on the uh, article you should find there. So, either if it, there's not an article up there yet, you'll be able to um, sign, sign up. up and yeah, get it or go. read it. And it'll be about waste management, not about um, this stock. About waste management will give you a lot of information about why it can be attractive to mm-hmm. own a, a, a garbage company. Um, so, this company hauls trash and does. Things related to that, it's big there, and it's a potentially a wide mode sort of thing. It has certain um, uh, root density and things like that advantages in addition to other stuff. So it has certain, yeah, you know, it, it has certain natural economic advantages. Uh, trash hauling does, and so you know, companies that run garbage trucks and put them into landfills and stuff, especially when they own those landfills, which you know, waste management does. Um, they're good business. Uh, the thing is, in the U.S., they're pretty expensive. So, like, what you'll read in that write-up of waste management, um, there's Republic, there's things like that. Um, they're really expensive stocks. They're just seen as really absolutely blue-chip stocks, sure. you know, recession-resistant, yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. This company in the U.K. and uh, just doesn't trade at anywhere near the price that it would in the U.S., which is interesting. Just like U.K. car dealerships trade at deep discounts to U.S. car mm-hmm. dealerships. Here you have a company that does much the same thing as a U.S. company, and yet it— um, And the economics are the same? Uh, I don't know if they're as good as waste management, I would say, but they're as good as certainly second-tier U.S. Uh, trash hauling businesses. Yeah, they're in the same industry. I think the economics should be pretty similar. I don't have a lot of insight yet into management and stuff like that. They're what their capital allocation plans are. Um but, you know, that's a big advantage in some of them uh, because they produce a lot of free cash flow. So how they spend that uh, is big. If they buy back a lot of stock mm-hmm. or something, which some of the U.S. ones have done, that's been very helpful. So, uh, yeah, so it's basically just it's an industry that you might want to be in. And it's so much cheaper to buy it over in the U.K. than it is to to buy the same sort of company over here in the U.S. So mm-hmm. that's why that one's interesting. Next one, Tandy Leather. Tandy Spoke Leather. about this a lot. Yes. You got some history with that company. You wrote about it on Single Diligence. And then I think in like our first 10 podcasts we did, we talked about it. We Tandy. did a podcast about it. Yeah. yeah. I've gotten several emails from people asking me about it. A lot of changes recently. going on, right? Yep. A lot of changes. They have a new CEO fairly recently. Uh, they do earnest calls. So you can read the transcripts where they talk about all their plans to change things there. 
Um, it's basically a turnaround. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very wide moat um, business. It is leather crafting retail. Um, What's that? <laughs> it is. So people who have a hobby of leather crafting, they like to buy leather <laughs> and buy things that you would work with tools and things with the leather. So this is the perfect example just because I would have no interest in it. You got right. to see why do people, why are people interested in it and how could Tandy, you know, benefit mm -hmm. from that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so it's definitely an overlooked stock because mm -hmm. it's big in that niche, but no one knows what leather crafting retail is. As I've said before, um, probably countless times whenever I tell the story about Tandy, for those who are old enough to remember stuff, why does this company, Tandy, have the same name as Tandy Technology-related things that they know about and stuff? Um, uh, because I don't know if they – people who are old enough to know this know that there was a hot stock called Tandy, um, which is Radio Shack. Mm -hmm. And Tandy and Radio Shack are the same model. Yeah. What happened was T Radio Shack was created out of Tandy at the exact same model, but it would just be for electronics hobbyists. At the time, electronics was a hobby, like leather crafting. But then electronics took off, and then everyone was buying those sorts of things, yeah. right? So, so Radio Shack became a whole other thing. Then it went bankrupt and everything. But the reason why I mention that is because people have been in a Radio Shack. They haven't been in a Tandy. Sure. They are the same. Yeah. So it's exactly the same sort of store format, uh, store manager, employee ratio, all that sort of thing. And what do you think about the gross margins of the business? One of the most stable right. that you've yeah, ever seen? Yeah, the gross right? margins are very high and very yeah. stable uh, because they can charge a lot for everything that's not leather that they sell. They can charge a lot for, and they do. They're many times larger than any of their competitors, but they've got a bunch of problems. And the problems, as I've talked about before, are um, the two I see are, one, they're non-retail customers who sometimes are competitors of theirs, who buy these things and then resell them and, or reuse them in their businesses, um, don't like them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They feel they overcharge for everything. That's why I have those wonderful gross margins. And um, then you also have uh, the issue that you, the store managers, I think, they are having problems with that compared to what they had a few years ago. Uh, they didn't pay them a lot in terms of base salary, and then they would offer them like a bonus. Um, they had trouble getting people to move where they needed them to go, and I talked about that before. Um, I think they've had real problems with those two things. They have to fix things with store managers, and they have to fix things to make sure all their stores are well run, and they have to fix things with uh, their non-retail customers, which is a very big part of the business. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's a third or something or, or more, maybe 40% of the business is not just, you know, um, individual hobbyists coming in and buying things, but everybody else. Because they supply a significant amount of sort of the industry of it, of everyone else who sells leather crafting stuff gets it from Tandy for some of the things, kits and things like that. They buy from them. The leather itself is a commodity and a lot of people can buy it. What do you think drew Jeff Graham, uh, the author of Dear Chairman, to yes. the company in the first place? I don't know. Uh, it is located uh, in terms of headquarters and stuff, not far. From, Fort Worth. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's headquarters at Fort Worth. And um, and he has ties to Texas. Uh, for, for people who don't know, his father was a Texas a senator from Texas, uh, ran for president. But um, so I'm sure that that's potentially part of it, um, that you're talking about a Texas-based uh, company. But I think uh, from what I remember of what holdings his fund has had before and stuff, they're often related to like restaurant retail, yeah, small uh -huh. like microcab restaurant yeah. retail. So that would be very obvious as a concept that's really attractive. He owns a really big chunk of it. Um, and there's also some other major uh, investor in it too. I would say that investors of some kind um, probably own between a third and half of it is controlled by some sort of very financially oriented type investors mm -hmm. from what I remember. 
Um, so, you know, Wide Mo Company probably, I mean, he's owned it for a while, though, mm-hmm. and the stock has not performed that well, um, you know, lately. So it's pretty cheap, not that far from being a net-net, things like that. Um, but, you know, and in, in very recent results, they produced some cash flow. Um, that was good. So their cash flow even exceeded like what they were putting in earnings and stuff. And I noticed they changed some compensation things or talked about it where they're going to uh, inventory turns and things like that are going to be part of it. So maybe it'll be generating more cash flow than it has in the past. Mm-hmm. That had been a problem for the last few years, I would say. Their cash flow generation wasn't that good. They were building up too much inventory. Related to, we talked about in a previous podcast, mm-hmm. the whole thing with uh, t- uh, with um, just a bank and all yeah. that. And I talked about like JC Penney and the, the sales things. Uh, Tandy had been you historically had used three different prices for every item. So depending on what kind of customer you were, you got a different price. They said they're not going to do that. And they're going to go to like more of a one price scheme. Mm-hmm. They're going to do different things with different, um, avoiding certain sales things and stuff like that. We'll see what happens, but I think they're trying to make it more obvious what the prices are probably to avoid the accusations that they overcharge everybody. Yeah. XP power. Yeah. I know very little about this company so far. Um, this is very early stages. It's near the bottom of the list. Yeah. UK company. I would say, uh, it's one of the least overlooked. It's not a, that small of a company and it trades fairly. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's so borderline for More us. liquid. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. right on the board. If you want to know what kind of stock might not be overlooked enough for us, go look at XP power <laughs> because it's enough that if I really like it and stuff, we could consider it. Yeah. But it's also close enough that I'd say this isn't quite an overlooked stock anymore. It's right on the borderline almost. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the yeah the line. And then the last one is protector. I'm probably going to butcher this. <laughs> Forsakring. <laughs> Okay, so we were kind of talking before. We're like, yeah, we'll just kind of. We, we hope that's <laughs> so. Right there's a, uh, so we have a write up of this on the website yeah. from a long time ago. Uh, this is a um, Nordic insurer. Mm-hmm. So there's a big part of their business originally was change of ownership insurance in Norway. Although they're exiting that business, um, and I believe that if you follow their guidance in the next few years, the UK will be one of their biggest um, markets. Uh, they're an unusual kind of insurance. So insurance in Nordic countries, which I'm talking about here is basically I'm talking about for this, I'm mostly talking about um, Norway and Sweden, somewhat Denmark as well. Um, So, uh, and now they will be the UK. So let's, you know, whether you want to say Northern Europe, but not Germany, things like that. Um, is the it's not as aggressive as in the US and stuff. So these insurers all have pretty amazing combined ratios. Uh pretty conservative investment stuff, but their underwriting hasn't been that aggressive to try to grow. Maybe I don't know why that is exactly. It's much more oligopolistic. There's much um a few of them have much higher market share and stuff. So this company came around a few years ago and started taking up a lot of market share and started doing it with much higher loss ratios. Um so it ha- would was more aggressive underwriting than other companies. Um, but it would try to keep its expenses down. So its idea is to have really low expenses, generate a lot of float, get better investments. Um, it allocates more money to equities than its competitors do. It um, uses kind of a Warren Buffett type approach to the kinds of stocks that they buy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much more concentrated in what they own and they're, um, you know, and they're, they've beaten the market. Their, their stock portfolio is beating the market. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's a different business model that way. They lately they've been at or above a hundred combined ratio a lot. 
um, and they want to, you know, they've exited some lines of business and they're entering some other ones. So I think that there's some real risks there. But um, why do you have it at the bottom of the list? Because of that. Got it. Yeah. I mean, if you want to look at like an outsider type company or whatever, we talked about that book. Yeah. This is a good example of that. They are taking an approach that should compound shareholder, uh, you know, could could compound the book value of their shares faster than other companies in the region uh, and fast for an insurance company. But they're doing it in, at least for that area of the world, a very unorthodox way of doing it. They're investing less in bonds. They're writing at um, more aggressive uh, rates. They're willing to charge less. Uh, they're doing it all through brokers to keep their and have very low expense ratios. Um, and they're pretty quickly like they exited a big part of their business and moved into other ones. They've made mistakes in some places, but they've quickly um, exited those sorts of things. So yeah, they're it's a uh, it's an interesting organization. They're they're very they're very quick moving compared to they're very agile i'll say <laughs> compared to uh, all their competitors in that area sure and it's interesting because you in the uk will be different for them but uh all the markets they've been in so far have really been oligopolies of only a few companies and with very high market share they have a fairly low market share sometimes overall um in some lines it's big but um and yet they've taken a lot of it but if other companies came in and behaved the way they do mm-hmm. their results would be bad I think of it as like their results have been good because there have been one of the only companies um, being this aggressive and this unorthodox in their approach. But if the big companies were as aggressive um, on rates, then, you know, they would have problems, I'm sure. So I think they benefit to a large extent by the approach that the biggest companies in there take. If they took the – I don't know that you could take this model and bring it to the United States and it would be successful. I have doubts about that. I don't even know if you'll, they'll be able to do it in the UK. You know, they've done a little in the UK and they plan to grow it a huge amount. But I think in the markets they've been in, it's worked out well. Um, and an insurer, if you get an insurer where you have someone in charge of it who really understands capital allocation, and yeah, I mean, it can be a huge compounder over time. So if you get the right management, the right culture and everything, and insure, they can be the best um, long-term results that you'll ever get. Um, insurers as a group, you know, perform badly. Sure. Yeah. So be careful of that. But if you get something that is, you know, has the right person in charge of it, an insurance company can be tremendous. So, you know, the leverage in every sense of the word um, that they have on their investment results, on their underwriting, on everything, just means that if someone is doing really smart things inside an insurer, you're going to get good results as a shareholder. So it's something to watch. I don't know. I'd say it's much harder to predict and um, potentially a little more risky than I've found everything else on the list. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Well, that is the last stock on the list. So every single week, uh, you update that list, and yes. it's it's like a watch list, yeah. and um, you'll get to see the companies that we're currently researching and the ones that we think are overlooked and the ones that we think are interesting. Yeah, they're always overlooked stocks. Yep. Um, so generally, that means the share turnover uh, is low, so their their volume traded is low yep. compared to the total shares outstanding. So they're usually things you haven't really heard about um, for the most part, and almost everything that I will write up in the future will be from that list. Mm-hmm. So basically it that's like a batting order for yeah, future write ups. For, for what I'll write up. Yeah. So you would see from that. Um all good? Yeah. Okay, good. cool. Well if you want to get access to that list, definitely go to Focus Compounding Gazette. And what they'll do is uh you'll get an email and that's mm-hmm. included in the email. Focus Compounding Gazette.com. Yeah. A thing will pop up telling you to put in your email. Yep. And then all you have to do after that is you'll get this, all this stuff. Yes. uh, Each week in email form. If anyone watching has a stock 
that they think is overlooked and ones that we would think it, mm-hmm. uh, would be interesting, feel free to either email it to info at focuscompound.com or gannoninvesting at gmail.com. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button and thumbs up. If you're listening on the podcast side of things and you want to support us, uh, definitely feel free to leave us a rating and review that helps spread the word. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. We hope you have a great day and we'll see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To learn about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompoundinggazette.com. That's focuscompoundinggazette.com, and enter your email. Once you enter your email, you'll start getting one free 2,000-word stock write-up a week. Andrew and I also manage accounts for clients. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.